Naffy break with Job Oppo. Uh, I'm talking this morning to Lee Ryder. Lee, welcome to Naffy break. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Good. So, uh, Lee, I can tell by that accent you're uh, you're a London guy originally. Whereabouts are you, you hail from? Tottenham. Tottenham, Bolton, Bridge. And yeah, also Bolton. And now I am. Well, I'm not going to get into football stuff at this time of the morning. That's not a good start today. But Lee, tell us a little bit about your military background and uh, where you've kind of come through from a service point of view. So I joined the army at 16 as a um, junior soldier. Some I always wanted to do. Even when I was a kid, always wanted to be a soldier. Nothing but. Um, went into the Royal Green Jackets, which was a good decision. Proud of my regiment and um, I loved every minute of it. So I did about 23 and a half years um, and then got out at the end of term. During my army career, I had a uh, yeah varied career. You know, I went up through the ranks and that. And I did towards the end, I did a lot of jobs that set me up for what I was to do once I got out. So I massively did a lot of work in teaching, but with translators. I went to... Uh, the British military training team, Central and Eastern Europe, which basically covered all the old Soviet states. So during that time, I went to places like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Albania. I went and trained the Ukrainian army, which may come in handy for them over the coming months. Uh, I went there about three times. Um, Poland, and we was actually based in the Czech Republic. So that taught me how to teach foreign troops through translators and then i went to afghanistan i was on like i think probably the, the first deployment when camp bastion was a helipad now now listen we always say like every day's a school day and obviously you know you crammed a lot of experience in there but but obviously you know most people learn their instructional technique and dealing with you know the soldiers and people that they're working alongside but to deal with a kind of foreign nationals and overcome the language barrier and a cultural barrier and all those things. What do you think are the main sort of skills and traits that you you developed as a result of that, that you now use or, or can now use now that you've come out of the military? Getting people to like you. These, for example, the Afghan National Army at that stage, we was a, still like a foreign invading force, if you like. And we had to like win them over. Um for them to get the information in. You know, there's no point trying to teach to someone. I used to watch the Americans and the Canadians and they'd be stood there like Robocop with the big glasses on, all their body armour. I, I used to leave my rifle in the wagon and we'd be out in the field somewhere, put me soft out on and teach to them as a, as a British soldier does. You're, you're teaching someone like the Afghans and they, they talk so many different languages. So you'll be teaching in English. Then you'd have a Pashtun translator on your right. Then you'd have a diary translator on your left. And then when they're asking questions, a 40-minute period took about three days to get through. And it's, It sounds like the phrase hearts and minds come, uh, springs to mind there when, you, when you're talking like that, that this isn't just about being almost dogmatic or, you know, we're just going to do this in this way. Yeah, and it was the same with the troops in Eastern Europe. But then them skills there 
took me into what I'm doing now. Lee, it sounds like you you don't, wouldn't have a problem being at the Arsenal-Tottenham game. Uh, listen, tell me a little bit now. You, you said you left the army at the end of term. When you were coming to the end of that term, you know, before you left, did you kind of look at the future and think, I've got an idea of what I want to do after and I'm going to start lining things up? Yeah, it was it was a strange one because I, I, I didn't have a plan. I loved the army. I loved every minute of it. I loved being a soldier. But I wasn't going to go any higher. Proud I didn't have my LSGC, as 90% of my regiment didn't. So obviously there are the things like, okay, where are you going to live? Okay, what are you going to do? You, you still, you know, you still got time ahead of you. You're not, a, you're not an old man as such. You know, you're not about to retire and put the slippers on. So how quickly did you kind of work out what you were going to do? I was in a relationship um, with a girl. Um, we had a daughter and we had a house down in Somerset. So when I was getting out in Bulford, like my last six months or so, I just used to commute every day. And that let me start thinking about my future. But when the day came to get out, I had my pension straight away because, you know, I was getting out full term done. So I made your pension. That would cover my mortgage. And no, I, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. You know, the next step, if you like, took you into the, the security world. As soon as I come out, I started. It was a bit different then. There wasn't things like what you do. There was... There was like these job sites where all you do, you go on it and you lump your CVs onto them and you wait, you sit back and wait for a phone call. I was in no rush. I'd had, you know, I'd had me lump some to come out. Next minute, I got a phone call from G4S Kazakhstan. They had seen my CV and it had Kazakhstan on it that I'd done instructional stuff in Kazakhstan. Within a couple of days, I'd accepted a job and boom, I went to, I went to Kazakhstan for a year. Which came <laughs> from all my experience that I'd, that I'd taken in that instructional stuff abroad in the army because just to just admit through it quick i went to a place called tengiz which is in the middle of the russian steppe in kazakhstan on the edge of the caspian sea on the uh, eastern edge of the caspian and it was a massive construction site it was the biggest oil exploration project in the world probably at the time i don't know ever since it was about three kilometers square of piping and machinery. That's what this thing was. Basically, when it was finished, it took about three blokes to run it. They press a button, everything's done. But during the construction phase, they had a massive riot, which went on for three days. Because I might be wrong, but it was a Turkish um, company doing the construction and an Armenian uh, company. Now, what they didn't do was their history to look back that there's about 3,000 years worth of conflict between them two countries so when you put them two in a melting pot in the middle of the, of the russian steppe it all kicked off and there were stabbings and there was anyway so i went out there um and they wanted me to make sure it didn't happen again so basically i went around and picked every over six seven foot kazakhstan security bloke for g4s i could find and they effectively became the first ever Leeds militia and as I go through other things, there was other Leeds militias in what I've done. But these were the original Leeds militias. That's what we were called. And basically, every time there was a group gathering, my big boys would be there, body armoured up, carrying a truncheon. Um, we was like a QRF to make sure there was no conflict. Because on the oil and gas, they lost three days. And that is like a billion, billions and billions of dollars is lost. It, and so it never happened again. But what I had to do was... Take, go back to my experience of standing there with a with a Kazakh or Russian-speaking translator and teach these boys. Basically, I taught them along the lines of what we did in Northern Ireland at the time. 
you know, the internal security stuff. Because he, because a lot of it as well was to give us an, an extra sort of job. There was a lot of thieving out there. These are peasant people. So, you know, you could chuck a lamp out and they'd have it stripped for every bit of copper in it and glass and anything. So there was a lot of thieving. So we'd done a lot of patrols. We'd done a lot of searches in because it was all set up in different compounds. So a lot of it, you know, I was a search instructor in the army. I taught them that, you know, VCPs as the vehicles were leaving, taught them how to search properly. And all this came from the experience of teaching foreign troops. Well, I was just about to say that obviously skills that you pick up in the army, you think, all right, this is relevant for what I'm doing now. But maybe you don't think actually this is transferable outside. But you've just given an example there where exactly what you've done in Northern Ireland, what you've done on search vehicles, you just drop that in that that works i'm kind of intrigued to know that obviously g4s go right he's got kazakhstan there on his uh, cv we want that guy why do you think that british ex-military are in such high demand in these overseas theaters when it comes to i suppose private security or securing things overseas when when it's not obviously military what why is it ex-military is so sought after i think it comes from our experience you know, from the the American army, the Canadians who I've worked with, the European armies, the all these ex-Russian armies, they're massively do what they're told to do. They're they're robots. No one thinks for themselves in these in foreign armies. You know, they're not encouraged to. Even when I was working in Eastern Europe, to go get a vehicle to go and do a range wrecking, I'd have to send letters to like, you know, Putin's to IC because of all the bureaucracy, where a British soldier could be commanding men from as young as 17 on the streets of Belfast back in that day. And now, you know, even ever since Northern Ireland, you know, Bosnia, Kosovo, um, and then obviously Afghanistan, Iraq, young men are commanding and making decisions. And I think we learn a lot. Obviously, we learn a lot from that, but it's also our courses. You know, senior Brecon, junior Brecon, for example, second to none in the world. And what you learn, you know, it's three months of learning your management. And even now, see, see when I look at civvies in Civvy Street, people get people get management positions or senior positions because of time, either time done or they know someone. In the army, you earn that promotion, obviously. And and it and you still you don't stop learning until you know, even when you come out, you're still looking to promote yourself. But more back to your question i think it's that it's from the experience it's from the background that we have you know at some point you kind of think actually my time overseas a little bit like your army i'm done with that i want to come back to the uk it's almost like another transition all over again what's your thoughts about coming back to the uk did you have a plan on that or, or again were you just kind of thinking oh well something will happen what was the what was the transition back to the uk like again i i I never had a, a plan set in stone because, first of all, the transition side of it. For me, it was easy. No matter what I did, it was easy because being in the infantry, I'd pretty grown up moving every two years. I could be in England for two years, Colchester for two years, and then we go to Germany for five years. Then we come back to Dover. Then we go to Gibraltar for two years. Then we go to Northern Ireland. So I was, I was always on the move. <clears throat> but I like that lifestyle. I wouldn't like to be in the army now where I'm stuck in Bulford for the rest of my army career. Now, obviously, you've got used to that and that's kind of comfortable. You like that lifestyle. But at some point, as as we get a little bit older and we've got kind of got kids and whatever, and their schooling becomes a bit of a bit of an issue. 
What were your thoughts now in terms of how you were looking forward in relation to the family? Was there was there considerations that you took or, or decisions you took which actually were about their their future as well as your own? You know, Dubai, a lovely place and everything else, but, you know, the schooling is a little bit structured to help certain um, communities, if you like, and um, I accepted that for, the, for my daughter in junior school, but when she was going into senior school, I wanted her to really um, get the best I could. And that is back in England. So we decided to come back. We'd rented a house out, so it was easy to come back, transition. We'd done it during the school term. So basically, we came back off holiday, had, a, had, a, had the summer holiday at home, sorted our lives out. And then Charlie went straight into, into senior school. Now, my, my motivation as well, even now, is... When when we was out there, she we lived by the sea. We lived on a golf course. It, it was it was a stunning place to live. But she fell in love with the sea, and now she wants to be a marine biologist. So she is going to be the first ever rider to go to university. And at the end of the day, there ain't a rider that's ever finished school, let, let alone gone to university. Well, I kind of understand your motivation there, and I've got one one in my family. My daughter went to university, so I kind of know what proud dad syndrome feels like there but but interestingly as much as she might have gone down the academic route whereas you've used skills experience and you've done the army no doubt she'll look at you as a bit of a role model in terms of work applying yourself making things work for you so it sounds like she's got a great great future ahead of us obviously how do we get to where we are now in terms of rss what was the what was the decision to set that business up and and what's the kind of drive behind it and your interest, if you like, or your purpose now that you've got with RSS? Yeah, so when I first came out of the Army, when I sat in Kazakhstan, I had this I had this idea to start a security company because it's all I knew. But the only reason I didn't start it until four years ago is because the phone always rang and I had a lovely little job offer and away I went. You know, I'm, I'm 54 next week and I've still never had a job interview. You know, the phone rings um and away i go word of mouth or whatever so i had i had when i was getting out it wasn't a dream but i had like the the ambition of you know i'm going to look at starting up a security company so listen we've, we've obviously put the information up there about what rss does and in terms of you know the, the range of security work that you're doing just tell us about what's a little bit different about what you're doing with RSS or some of the, some of the roles that you're getting involved in and opportunities for, for other veterans. Cause I know, I know we've, we've spoken previously, just, just enlighten us a little bit, if you could, on some of the, the unique things that you're offering. So I thought to myself, I'm limited down in Somerset. Um, and there's a, there's already a, co- a security company down this way. They do the key holding. They, you know, open up the gate to the, to the shopping center and, so there was nothing really down here. <clears throat> so I thought, right, I've got to be up in London. With the contacts I've got and everything else, I need to be up in London, do it. And I'm used to living away from home. I could easily commute up, stay up there, come home at the weekends, this sort of stuff. And then I thought, right, up in London, there's got to be there's got to be hundreds of thousands of security companies. And there is. So I need to offer something different. And again, I thought, with my contacts, with my background, the people I know, I will only hire ex-military not just soldiers you know ref navy you know we're all ex-military because that would be a selling point that no one else at the time had you know since then there's been a lot of little companies starting up trying to copy but they haven't got my client base 
I was introduced to the right people at the right time that wanted to sign up to this helping the ex-military side of it. You know, it was, you know, it was towards the end of the, the bad times in Afghanistan when the coffins were coming off the planes. And that was really in the hearts of the public. And I, I found that the, the, the rich, rich, wealthy businessmen up in, up in London, they came to me, I think, because they felt they was doing something other than giving to charity, they, they liked the idea they was helping British military. But also, they're, you know, they're sensible men. They know you you hire an ex-soldier. The service you're going to get is going to be second to none, and especially with the projects that we then came up with. So, listen, one of the things I know you've, um, you, you, I suppose, made a bit of a purpose was about soldiers on the streets. Yeah. So the mainstay of what we've done was at the beginning – I'm trying to think outside the box. And I, and I say that to a lot of people now when they're, when they're on about, you know, doing something in Civil Street now and all that. Think outside the box. You know, what, what can you do that no one else is doing? So part of that, I started looking at this, you know, soldiers on the streets. And up in London, you know, you're walking down the street, I'm walking past people sitting there with their little placard. You know, I walked past a whole family once, ex-soldier, no accommodation. And I thought, well, if I'm hiring ex-soldiers, why can't I do something to help these sort of people? And so that's what we did. So I came up with the idea of, if, I always use a pub as an example. So again, now over COVID, before COVID, the pub trade is taking a massive hit. A lot of people are going out of business um, as publicans. If a pub goes out of business or a tenant loses his license, whatever, overnight, it'll be gone. You know, because that's his accommodation, that's everything. If that pub sits again overnight, that pub sitting empty in London, by the next morning, it will be squatted. There is people, and we've seen them on the other things we do, they're riding around on bikes, they're looking for these opportunities. They see an empty building, they're on the phone, next minute, the great unwashed descend on that building, and in they go. Now, if a squatter gets in a building, it, you're, if you own the pub, it will cost you round about, 6,000 minimum to get them out because you need to go through the courts. You then need to get bailiffs just to get them out. Once you've got them out, it's the damage that they cause. We we go into these buildings behind the bailiffs, behind the police, whoever's doing it, and the, the state they leave these places in is unbelievable because a lot of it then becomes uh, an environmental issue. And, it's, and that goes in with the travellers, because if a traveller gets on your site, he will then ring up all his mates that go around with their little flatbed saying, we'll clear your garden for 40 quid or whatever. Well, they ain't going to take it down the dump because they get they get billed for that. So at the end of the day, they're all queuing up to the traveller site and they're dumping. And I have seen £300,000 worth of clearance um, required over a weekend. So, so the initiative that in terms of getting the soldiers off the street is if I'm right in what you said to me before, you actually effectively house a soldier yeah. off the street to be almost a custodian, a caretaker, if you like, to stop yeah. that from, from happening. So, yeah, to me, obviously, one from a, a charitable point of view, fantastic initiative, but I'd imagine, you know, from the, from the landlord's point of view, that, that's potentially saving them a massive, massive headache and a massive, massive bill and damage to that property. It is. 
So it sounds like, to be honest, it sounds like more than just, you know, you're landing in a job short term, whatever that is, you go into security. Actually, there's an opportunity to develop here. And actually, the more things you get under your belt and the more experiences, you, you've got a career path with uh, with RSS as well. Yeah. Another massive thing that really appeals to the blokes is obviously we get a lot of blokes come out. We've got a few problems, should we say, you know, with, with the, the obvious ones, there's no need to go in them. Not the drinks and drugs, but more the psychological type stuff. They really warm to the fact that they're going back into a military team. So I run it. I never, I never ever talk to them as if I'm running a business. This is, you know, they call me boss or whatever, but it's all team. It's all team or gang, you know, listen up team. This is what we are today and blah, blah, blah. And, and then they've got, you know, everybody is on these WhatsApp groups you know, so we've got administration. It's, it's all along. It, everything is structured as in the military. Every site has got a set of orders because this is what the boys are used to. They'll go into a site. There's your orders. Read your orders specific to that site. You know, all the reporting stuff. They they Because a lot of them are in loan worker. So we've got the loan worker policies. So they've got to report in three times a day. And they like all that because they're working to team leaders. So we then promote them within. So they start up as a basic and then and then we promote them with things like do a um, fire marshal course online. Cost 15 quid. We give them 25 quid to do it. We've then got qualified fire marshals. From that, they then get a, a little bit more money. So we, the incentive is do some, work for yourself. Do the fire marshal. Do the safeguarding. Then you become a team leader. Then you're out on these SIA jobs. And that is how, you know, a lot of them are earning a lot of money than just being a caretaker. RSS got the jobs up on uh, on the job oppo uh, jobs board. Uh, B Rider, listen, really appreciate you coming on and giving us a little bit of background and a little bit of understanding behind RSS and obviously in your own personal journey as well. Uh, guys can see in the job oppo house they can see the jobs that are up on the board there, and now they know a little bit more about you. So Lee, thanks very much for sharing your time and your insights on uh, Naffy Break with Job Oppo. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me.